What is it like when three members of the same family all come down with COVID-19? This journalist takes you inside on today's Deep Background. Greetings and welcome to Deep Background for Tuesday, August 25. I am Derek Donovan with the Kansas City Star Editorial Board. Dave Helling is away today, so it'll just be you, me, and Mike Fannin, the president and editor of the Kansas City Star, is joining us. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Derek. It's uh, I really appreciate you inviting me on, and it's uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be upright, too, I bet, right? <laughs> good to be standing, good to be sitting, um, good to be moving around a bit, good to leave my bedroom. I mention all this because it's why we asked Mike to join us today. Over the weekend, Mike published a fascinating column in The Star and on KansasCity.com about how the coronavirus hit his family. Mike, can you sort of walk us through what happened? Yeah, so my mom came to visit for uh, a summer vacation um, and it was it was planned. We we talked about it and we were a little torn on whether we we should do it. But anyone who knows my mom knows she is going to do what she wants to do. And she's 83 years old and she wanted to come for um, my birthday, and my daughter's birthday, who was turning 19 and her high school graduation was really the main event. Um, but shortly after she got here, uh, we all started feeling terrible. And we went and were tested and, and sure enough, tested positive for COVID-19. Um, so let me just say, um, I appreciate the shout out on the column. This is one heck of a way to get material for writing a column. Um, but is it, it occurred to me many times as I was lying in misery um, that this was a story worth sharing. Uh, it was a personal story, but it's also a story that I think connected with, from what I can tell, you know, uh, quite a few readers, and I think part of it, the reason it, that it did was because it sort of filled in the blanks. You know, there are a lot of people out there who don't know anyone who's gotten COVID-19. They don't, you know, all they know about it is what they're seeing in the media, you know, what they're hearing anecdotally, and I think it was important for me in this case, you know, 54-year-old otherwise healthy person uh, to, you know, document uh, what a month of coronavirus looks like in your life. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, everybody is different and some people are asymptomatic and those people kind of make me a little bit mad. No, I'm just kidding. Happy for them. <laughs> but <clears throat> we were not, unfortunately. We were hit very hard by the symptoms, my wife and I, and in particular, my 83-year-old mother. Uh, on the second day after we were diagnosed, uh, her oxygen level plummeted and she had to go to the hospital. She was there for 19 days. Uh, in the middle of that, <clears throat> for about five days, she was in intensive care and the prognosis did not look good. And, you know, there were the, the really outstanding medical professionals at the hospital where she, was, where she was admitted and they really just did a fantastic job. The nurses and doctors there for the most part were just, um, you know, fantastic you know, on the front lines of this every day and very impressive. Um, <clears throat> but she, um, you know, uh, they told me right out there that if she goes on a ventilator, we haven't had anyone survive uh, older than 65 years old. And so it was suddenly became, you know, not just an uncomfortable situation, 
and a long sort of drawn out illness, but a real medical emergency and a real situation for our family. Um, so, you know, after that initial day when we took her to the emergency room and she was admitted, we really couldn't see her. So we were communicating every day over the phone. I'm communicating with my family back home. My two older brothers are, you know, very worried. Um, my oldest, <clears throat> my middle brother is a pastor of a church. You know, there were lots of prayers going out for her. And suddenly we had to become like uh, experts, you know, in on the fly about how to treat this, this terrible disease. Um, we did a lot of research. We asked a lot of questions. And, and again, I'll just say uh, pretty much everything that we found that we thought the hospital should be doing, uh, they were doing it, you know, uh, just a whole series of things from her getting antiviral drugs and steroids and, um, you know, um, heated oxygen and <clears throat> all the various things that she needed to to be able to um, leave ICU. Now, with that said, she's home, she's recuperating with us, but she's still on oxygen. And it may be a long, long time that she's on oxygen uh, because she's still struggling. Even when she gets up just to go into another room, uh, her oxygen level drops. Um, and so, and that's with her being attached to an oxygen machine, portable oxy oxygen machine. So, you know, it's a very stark and real thing you know, going through it in, in real life, in real time, um, you know, and we weren't sure what, you know, where the road sort of ended because this disease does not allow you, as I said in the column, to trust progress. You know, if you felt, if you had a good day or a good hour, more likely a good hour or two during the day, it was quickly followed by just some, some very miserable, you know, symptoms later. Um, you know, unlike the normal course of an illness where you start to feel better, maybe you've got the flu, maybe by day three, four, five, you're feeling better. Every day gets better after that. That was not the case with this. It, it's uh, relentless. And it seems like it, um, you know, attacks and then retreats, attacks and then retreats. Um, you know, there were days, and again, we're otherwise health, healthy people um, with no sort of existing medical issues or conditions, no pre-existing conditions. And, you know, there were days we couldn't get out of bed. There were days we couldn't eat. You know, there were many days I didn't even just leave the bedroom and walk downstairs uh, because it was too hard. It's, you know, um, crushing, crushing uh, symptoms. Absolutely. And so now just to clarify, was your mother able to avoid the ventilator? Yes, she was, she was able, to, after five days in ICU, um, her oxygen had stabilized. And the interesting thing is, she wasn't really having the symptoms we were having. Her, her issue was completely, you know, sort of centered on her breathing and, and, and difficulty breathing. Uh, once they were able to solve for that, they could move her to a regular room. She was still there for, you know, quite a few more days. Um, only now, since she's come home and since she's been COVID-free, um, has she now been hit by all the symptoms that we had. And, and we were talking about this. We think it was sort of unusual for all three of us in this little cluster here to have really almost virtually the same symptoms. Um, 
you know, but I took her to her first doctor appointment recently and she's got scarring on her lungs uh, that may be permanent. Um, so it's, it's, you know, still a battle, even though this particular story has a happy ending. It's the battle continues. And that's the hallmark of this pandemic is that we are making it up as we go along because it is novel and we just have no idea what to expect long term. And you have to have those questions about what's going to be the lingering effect a year out or two years out. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I still have moments like where I'm, I'm, I'm and I feel great now. I'd say I'm probably 90 to 95 percent back to normal. But they'll still be like occasionally I'll have 10 minutes where I'll just suddenly just feel terrible. Um, so, you know, I know there are malaria cases like that where, you know, you're, you know, even though you're, you're, you know, free of malaria once you once you recover years later, you can have like one one bad day a year where the symptoms just return and you, you just got to lie in bed all, all, all day. Um, but in, in this case, I think what's another thing that's sort of surprising that, you know, if you get it is the case. There is no treatment for this, or, or I should say there's no cure for this. There's no vaccine for this. Uh, and the treatments are pretty limited and unless you're, unless you are hospitalized. And I did spend some time in the hospital, but uh, once you realize that really all you can do is, you know, take your vitamins, take zinc, try to stay hydrated, take Tylenol, <laughs> um, you know, uh, there, there, there are days when you're just sort of, you know, very unhappy that those are the only things at your disposal. I can be the first to tell you, your mother is one of the most vibrant people I've ever met. And I am not at all surprised that she was able to kick it. And I sure I'm glad to hear about it. But also, this is useful because this puts a, a face, an identity on this struggle uh, for a lot of people. And to know that somebody your age, as well as somebody in their 80s, can be hit so hard by it, that is really instructive. Yeah, I got dozens and dozens and dozens of emails, which I, I tried to answer every one, and because I was just very grateful and thankful uh, that, that, you know, that it did resonate with people. Uh, and many of them really hit on that aspect, Eric, you know, just the idea that you know, again, we really don't know what it's like. Thank you for taking us inside the story because we've heard a lot about it sort of at large, but the details are important. And and I think personalizing it, um, you know, you can sort of put yourself in those shoes a little bit and understand uh, how difficult it is. You know, I mean, I've never been that sick for that sustained period of time in my, you know, in my whole life. And, and none of us have. Um, so it's, you know, it's not a flu, it's not a cold, you know, it's, it's all those things. Um, and then, you know, like having a respiratory infection about like, it's like having five different things at once. And like you said, it's novel. There are things I felt in my body that I never felt before and never want to feel again. Let's hope you don't. Hey, we're going to take a little break here, and then we're going to come back, and I want to talk a bit about the journalism of the coronavirus. So stay with us. You are on Deep Background. Hey there. This is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. 
By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the star for $1.99 total. That's right, you get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So, go grab your computer or mobile device and head to kansascity.com slash background. And hey, thanks for listening. Well, we are back on Deep Background, and we are talking today with Mike Fannin, the president and editor of the Kansas City Star. And Mike, you know better than anybody probably that the coronavirus not only has been a big topic, but it's also been big news, right? And we have seen the type of traffic at KansasCity.com where we can measure it very precisely, the likes of which we have not seen in a sustained way before. Is that an accurate way to put it? Yeah, I would say, you know, if you're going back to to March and April, you know, and, and the very, you know, sort of onset of the virus, uh, really hitting our shores, we saw tremendous readership around those topics. Uh, and it's continued, I think, to be, you know, really the most popular content that we've produced um, or the most well-read content, popular may be the wrong word. But, um, you know, what's there, but there's an interesting trend line that we should talk about because um, that's starting to not be true anymore. And, you know, we're starting to see, and not just at the start, but also in newsrooms across, you know, McClatchy, which is our parent company, we're starting to see kind of a downward trending on that. And and I think I would just attribute it to this, COVID fatigue. You know, people are just tired of this. They want to leave their homes. They want to get back to life as normal. And, you know, it's clear that we, we, we don't have that option. We can't really do that. Um, so, yes, I think um, the stories have been, um, first of all, we've thrown, you know, virtually our entire newsroom at this story because it's the most ins- important story in our community. You could argue in a hundred years since the flu pandemic. Um, <clears throat> and, and there are still, you know, lots of, lots of clicks on those stories, but I think people are kind of getting numb to the numbers a little bit. How many cases today? How many deaths today? Is, is that lower or higher than yesterday percentage-wise? Uh, and they're getting a little numb to the numbers and they're getting some fatigue. And I think part of what I would say is it's important for us to stay on top of the story and it's important for people to continue to follow it um, because we're not through the woods yet. That's exactly right. And one of the things that hits home closest for me is the fact that this is a prime example of why local news is so important, because CNN, Fox News, those outlets aren't going to talk about Kansas City. And we have to keep on top of that. Otherwise, people aren't going to know. Isn't that right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're the most dominant local news source and and along with our our partners over KCUR, I mean, you put the star and KCUR together uh, for some of the coronavirus coverage that we've had. And I think, you know, that's that's a, a real win for the community because we're working together to keep them as informed as possible. Uh, and the fact, again, that we would invest as much resource and time and effort into it as as we have um, speaks to, I think, our desire to just be, um, you know, that outlet for the community, that source of reliable information, not rumor, not innuendo, not, you know, um, you know, 
discussions of hoax and some of those other things, but um, but a place that you can go and get real information in real yeah. time. I'm, I'm interested in your opinion about this. I sense a real realization in average people that you really cannot trust news that you're finding on Facebook and some of the other digital platforms. And how do you think the star ought to try to capitalize on that? And can we seize on that to let people know, hey, we're doing our best to tell you the truth. And when we get it wrong, we're going to correct it. Do you think that that is a trend we're going to see uh, upward in the future? Well, those are obviously huge platforms, so it's a big challenge. But I do think we've seen a reckoning there, uh, and particularly, I think, in the last you know couple of years, and, and maybe most acutely this year, uh, that people are beginning to understand. And even Facebook and Twitter and, and those other platforms are beginning to understand and flag content that isn't reliable, that is um, you know, not based in facts, not based in truth. And we're the truth tellers. So, you know, it's our job to speak as loudly as we can, to speak those truths as loudly as we can. Um, now, taking on, again, those giant platforms is no easy, is no easy, uh, you know, solution there. Um, but we've got to just keep doing the stories that we're doing. We've got to keep fighting the fight uh, inside the industry. You know, we, you know, Facebook in, in particular has come under a lot of pressure from groups in the industry. And we're one of those, you know, at the enterprise level, at the McClatchy level, you know, uh, we're one of those groups that's, you know, pushing for a, us to have the content that appears on their platform, you know, for there to be, you know, some reward for us in providing that information. Um, and also, you know, trying to get them to moderate their content better, um, you know, and they have the ability to do that. And they've shown they have the ability to do that. And Twitter stands out in this conversation with some of the stuff that you've seen in in the world of politics that now Twitter is trying to do a better job of knocking those those things down as they come out um, quickly. Um, so, you know, like I said, I wish there was an easier answer there. Um, but as long as we're focused on Kansas City, you know, you said it already, as long as we're really focused on telling the story of this community no one else is doing that. No one else uh, is in a position to do that. No one else has, you know, 60 journalists out there on the streets every day, you know, fighting to get to the bottom of things so we can keep our, you know, our citizens informed. I will tell you, too, there is nobody out there who is more civic minded than people who follow a source like the star. Listen to these podcasts. I love our readers and our readers. They're simply more plugged into reality. And that, that that's a great thing. And we need to capitalize on that. Yeah, our readers are smart and I think they're they're discerning. And I think they know the difference between something that's that's been reported out and sourced up and that we can explain to to them how we got the story. And we need to continue, obviously, doing a better job of telling people how we get these stories. You know, one of the initiatives that we've been working on with Arizona State and the Cronkite School of Journalism out there is just transparency. You know, we need to be transparent about how we're finding the stories and how we're sourcing them um, so we can continue to build that trust. So people, you know, believe me when I say, and, and here's the thing, I expected to get some blowback on, on the column, somebody saying you made this up or whatever, not a single call, not a single email, not a single tweet that I saw on this basically saying that. So 
hopefully that speaks to the star's credit. Doesn't speak to my credibility. Nobody, nobody really knows who I am, but I think it speaks to the star's credibility. You know, that we could, that I could write that column and people would go, oh my God, thank you for taking me inside that. This is really scary. Yeah. Well, hey, Mike, we really have appreciated your time and your insight here. I hope that you and your wife and your mom continue to improve. Hope that everybody's back 100% normal ASAP. Thanks, Derek. Really appreciate it being on. Mike Fannin, editor and president of the Kansas City Star, has joined us today, and you have been on Deep Background. Deep Background.